following is a presentation of Cornerstone Bible Church in Virginia Beach. For more information on Cornerstone, as well as additional sermon downloads, please visit cbcvirginia.com. Let's turn to 1 Peter 5. As we turn there, I'm going to read you a single verse from Proverbs 12. Uh, today we're doing something a little bit different um, than what we normally would, um, but it's a good practice for us. Normally, about three weeks ago, we just finished up Joshua, right? The book of Joshua, we went kind of chapter by chapter, idea by idea, through the whole book. It's called expositional preaching, expository preaching. We're going through and exposing what the text is trying to tell us. We're coming at it from a little bit of a different angle this time. We're actually going to go to the text and ask it a question. We want to ask about a certain topic. Now, we, we think it's actually overall a good digest of us having expository preaching going, let the text tell us what it wants to for our life so we can't like uh, pick and choose what we want. is a good thing for us to hear over and over again. But it's also right for us to ask of the text, what do we do about this thing? Or what do we do about that thing? Because certainly if the Bible is what it says it is, it is all that we need for life and godliness. And so even this morning's approach will be a little bit different than normal, but it's right. My desire today is to look at the topic of worries, anxiety, and frustrations um, and help us to see what the Bible says about it. Today you'll notice that um, we're going to mainly work here out of 1 Peter 5, but that you probably already have in your own brain all the other passages about anxiety, worries, fears, etc. And the truth is I was working in all of those this week as I went through and trying to pick out how we could do this well. So certainly we'll talk about 1 Peter 5, but you're going to hear reference and even just the thought process that we're working through, hopefully, is looking throughout the Bible to get an idea of how we look at this properly. All that being said, let me read one verse before we go to our text in 1 Peter. It's just Proverbs 12, 25. This is all it says. It's real simple. Anxiety in a man's heart weighs him down, but a good word makes him glad. I did not do that, but there we go. <laughs> Anxiety in a man's heart weighs him down but a good word makes him glad. And this is a very clear teaching on how worry and anxiety pushes on us. Anxiety in a man's heart weighs him down. Today, we're going to consider how a Christian ought to handle cares and concerns of this world, things that we all deal with. Let's go ahead and read our passage, 1 Peter 5. I'm going to read verse 6 and 7 today. It says this, Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so at the proper time, he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Let's pray. Lord, we worship you. Lord, together we say, our Father in, hell, in heaven, hallowed be your name, or holy is your name. We ask that in our own hearts we would reverence you as who you are. We worship you. May all glory be to Christ, for you are good and gracious King. Align our hearts, Lord, to kingdom realities, the, the true story of the world, not just what we see with our eyes. May your kingdom come and may your will be done on earth, in our hearts, in our congregation, as it is in heaven. May you give us this morning ears to hear and hands and feet to do. May you give us humble hearts ready to hear the word and receive it with thanksgiving. May you give me strength and grace to lovingly deliver the word and for me to obey. Lord, we need you, God. We thank you for all that you will do. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. 
I want to start out uh, with some rhetorical questions. So that means don't answer out loud, okay? Rhetorical questions. I want us to think together for a moment. How many of you are concerned about getting old or about wrinkles? Um, how many are concerned about the inability to do things that you once did before and now because you're older you can't or you will not be able to one day? How many of you are worried about possibly who will take care of you and your spouse when you reach an age that you can't take care of yourselves? How many of you are concerned about the great unknown, death? Uh, how many of you are worried about your kids, about the world that they will grow up in, about their financial success, about the schools that they will or won't get into, about which spouses they will choose, about the things that might hurt them or the stupid choices that they might make, or their safety or their well-being or anything? <laughs> how many of you struggle with worrying about your kids? How many of us worry about each new person that you and your family might meet and how they might hurt you or do something to you? And for that matter, what about the people that you already know that are around you? What do you fear and struggle with trusting them and to see if they're actually out for your own good or they will one day hurt you as well? How many of you are concerned that one day your freedom of religion or your right to bear arms might go away? How many of you are concerned that global warming is possibly some sort of real and that the effects of it may be catastrophic for our children someday? How many of you are concerned about financial debt or job security or the eventual collapse of the world economy? How many of you worry about whether or not you'll have enough money to have some sort of decent retirement? Or if you have the right insurances that if you got hurt, you will be able to live out the rest of your life as a quadriplegic or something terrible would happen to you? How many of you worry about what other people think about you? Or how about the way that you look or your weight or the way that your skin looks and the way that it will affect other people and what they think about you or how your spouse or loved ones will love you and if they will? How many of you are worried that you will never find a spouse at all? How many of us feel that we struggle with stress at work or that we seem to bring that stress and we seem to bring work home with us every day? Or how many of us seem to carry the stress of work around with us nonstop? How many of you feel like this world is spinning out of control? And certainly even the realms that you are in and all the responsibilities that you have and all the things you got to keep up are just spinning wildly out of control. And it goes in and out of feeling like you have some sort of control and then it's like, I don't know what's going to happen with all this. How many of you find yourself in a situation, whether at home with spouse and kids, or at work, or just in your station in life, where you find yourself constantly frustrated with your circumstances? How often is frustration your normal reaction? Or how often do you find yourself looking at others who seem to have all the good things in life, they get all the coupons to clip. Like, they're, like they have all the good looks. They have all the money. It seems like they get the accolades. They get the promotions. They get everything. And yet they don't fear God one bit. They don't care about him. They don't follow his law. And yet they seem to prosper. And I do all the same things. And yet I didn't get the promotion. I didn't do this. I, I, I didn't get any of this kind of stuff. I have a struggle with that. They didn't even work to do it. And yet they somehow are prospering. It seems like they're thriving. How often do you find yourself stewing inside because of a situation that just isn't working out the way that you had planned it to work out. Things did not go as you had expected it to. 
casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Many of us, when we first hear this verse, right, we kind of let out a little bit of, uh, you know, a little sigh, a little relief. We're like, oh, anxiety. I don't have anxiety, so this really isn't for me. Uh, we're not talking today about anxiety as the DSM-5 talks about it. Now, the DSM-5 is just a secular-based manual for assessing and diagnosing mental disorders. We're not talking about excessive worry that's sustained for six months. That certainly is that type of chronic worry that some of us do really struggle with is certainly relevant overall. It's important for this discussion. But today, I want us to talk about anxieties in general, the way that the Bible talks about anxieties not the way that our world puts them out and defines them. We need to talk about the things that dominate our hearts and our minds. All of the cares and the concerns that we carry around with us day after day. We need to think about what Peter means when he tells us to cast our anxieties on him, on Christ. I think we can best do this by answering four questions. This is what we're going to do this morning. The first question is simple. What is anxiety? According to the Bible, in biblical terms, what is anxiety? The second question is, what causes it? Like, uh, what things bring it about in our life? Number three gets down to the core. Why do we really do it? At the core, what's going on? And lastly, what is the remedy for the Christian? How do we fix this? How do we change from all this anxiety? So let's start with the first question. What is anxiety? Or more importantly, we need to refine it. What does the Bible say about it? How does the Bible talk about, or how does the Bible define anxiety and being anxious? It talks about anxiety as two things, both a noun and a verb. What I mean by that is that we see anxieties as something that we must deal with as a thing in and of themselves. In this way, we talk about it, these concerns or cares or anxieties, a noun, a thing to deal with. What they are then, if I can give you a quick uh, uh, definition for that, anxieties are all the difficulty that a believer must face in a fallen world. Now, we'll all see in a few minutes that some of those anxieties can come from internally or externally, but still I think it's helpful for us to describe anxieties this way, all the difficulties that we as believers will face in a fallen world. Our passage speaks about them in this manner, as a noun. It says that we are to be casting our anxieties. Casting is the verb, right? We are to be casting our anxieties on him, these things, because he cares for us. It treats it as a noun and shows us that we are supposed to respond to all the cares and the concerns in the world by doing this, casting on him, all the things that we experience. And so in this we understand. But that's not everything, right? It doesn't just talk about it as some things. The Bible also talks about how we react to these difficulties and concerns and cares and anxieties. It helps us understand that we will come encounter with these things as believers in this fallen world. But it takes us and talks about the action of being anxious, what's inside of us. Now, you guys already have all this stuff in your mind. You know Matthew 6, it was read for us this morning, Matt read it. Do not be anxious about your life. The verb, don't be anxious or Paul in Philippians 4, do not be anxious about anything. Or let's go back to David's words in Psalm 37. Fret not yourself because of evildoers. One of the reasons I chose 1 Peter 5, 6, and 7 is because the way that Peter uses this term anxieties 
is to stand as a larger understanding and marker for all the difficulties that a believer faces in this fallen world. He gives us an even better way than just saying, don't worry about it. He actually casts cast the net much wider. And he is saying all those things that might bother you, all those things that are cares, concerns, anxieties, you need to cast those all away on Christ. It's how then we deal with all these cares and concerns in the world. As such, there are two major strands underneath anxiety. The first one you already know you're going to get right away, worry. We know this. It's almost synonymous with the term anxiety is worry and, oh, I'm always concerned about this thing. But the second one you may not identify quite as quickly. The second is frustration. I barely have to do anything, again, to show you from the scriptures that worry is something that we have a sinful problem with. This is some sort of problem in the New Testament and the Old Testament. You know the passage as well. We just read some of them. Almost intuitively, we know that worry is a sin. We get that. Worry has its roots, though, deeply grounded in fear. When we worry, we're afraid of something. We worry about tomorrow because we're fearful that something bad or difficult or unpleasant might happen to us. We wring our hands and we try hard to come up with a way to solve tomorrow's problems before we get there because we know it's not going to be good. Because if we don't fear what will happen, because of this, we don't fear what will happen today. We want to feel about everything that might happen to us. We fear that this will all bring us some sort of pain or struggle or maybe even suffering. I don't think that I'm the only parent that uh, has had this experience, but when my children have disobeyed and done something that is worthy or merits correction of some sort, um, each one of them has the same response almost whenever I talk to them about it. When they learn that there will be negative consequences for their sin, they almost all immediately drop their heads and are downtrodden, even to the point sometimes of tears are just gushing out. I mean, nothing's even happened yet. I just said something simple like, uh, please go to your room, I'll be there in a few minutes. And like waterworks. I mean, I haven't, I haven't done a single thing. Nothing's happened. They're just like making the trek to their room down the hall. They know what is most likely going to happen, and they haven't even experienced anything unpleasant yet. And yet, they are concerned for what is about to happen. And they are stewing inside of themselves, worrying to death about what's going to happen. Obviously, we, we don't want to keep our children in this limbo very long, and so we try to handle things right away and work with our children. But I think it helps illustrate the point. Even though they know something negative and unpleasant is going to happen, it causes something inside of them, and it causes them to worry. Their worries are expressions of fear and of unpleasant circumstances to come. I think we're often like this, not that fear is always the result of disobedience or correction that's coming necessarily, although it might be. I mean that I, what I'm saying here is I think we're often like those knowing that something unpleasant Something negative is about to happen. Something that we won't like. And somehow we think it's either not fair or it's not good, and we don't want that thing to happen. And so we worry. We worry because we don't know what the outcome will be. And we carry the questions and the deliberating and the solution-making process, right, to try to figure out how to make this thing better. And it backs us up, and we, and we carry these burdens around with us all day to think about figuring out how to do this. We're afraid of what might happen or what we know will happen. And we carry that. We know then that the foundation of worry is fear. This is the first part of what the Bible talks about anxiety, but it's not the last. There's a second. 
not only is anxiety about worry, but it's also about frustration. I recently uh, dropped my truck off for a Virginia inspection. Um, got a call later on. It did not pass. So I said, why? They said, well, there's a, the, the gear indicator is not lining up properly with where it says park, reverse, drive, etc. And there's some sort of problem with the column shifter. It's, it's loose in there, not working properly. It's unsafe. So we had to put the rejection sticker on it. So they said, um, you know, do you want us to fix it? Uh, and I said, how much will that cost? And they said, $514. And I said, I don't think so. And so I said, I'll try my best. And I, so I set out on this journey. I got 15 days to fix this problem, right? So I set on this journey. I start looking up YouTube clips, trying to understand what's going on with it, making sure I have an idea before I start ripping apart my truck. Then I start ripping apart my truck. I take a whole dashboard off. I start taking off the steering column, all the stuff that I need to do. And what you see here is the problem. Right there, that little guy. It's a little clamp that goes over the, the gear shift rod that goes right on top of the column of the shifter, on the, on the steering column. But this, as you can see, the left tab there is completely broken off. And it was kind of jangling on. Every time I'd turn right, turn to left, you could hear it in there. And I didn't realize this is exactly what was going on. And so I looked it up online, understood like what part number it was, called Advanced Auto Parts. They had it in Red Mill. Great news. So I immediately go in and talk to Kristen. I'm like, hey, babe, I'm working on this. I can go pick this up and be back by this time, I think. And I know we got some stuff tonight to do. And she said, okay, no problem. If you can just get back by this time. So she needed my help. No problem. I jump in the van, and I, and I drive to Red Mill, about 20-minute drive. I get there. I, I know exactly what I need. I go right up to the front. I'm like, I just, I just called here for that part that I'm looking for. Could you give me that, that part that you said that you had? I'm like, oh, yeah, sure, sure, sure. So this person's associate started looking around, and then went back to the computer, and then I was like, yeah, let's, let's just go down these aisles and see if we can find it. I just, I just can't find it. Okay. So I follow them around, and they eventually come back. They're like, I just don't know where this thing is. So then they asked the next person who was actually helping another customer. So we had to wait until they were done. And of course, I'm being so patient at this time, um, waiting for the associate who's supposed to know what they're doing to wait on a different associate to do the job that they're supposed to be doing. So I'm waiting. I'm waiting. And uh, finally, that transaction finishes up. And uh, now they're ready to help me. Good. So they look up on the computer. and like, oh, it should be back here in such and such parts. So they go back in those big aisles to find stuff. And they come back and they're like, yeah. We can't find this thing. I don't know where this thing is. I know we have it. It says we have one of these right here in the computer. So then we're waiting on and on. And I know by this time, I'm already past the time that I need to leave to get back to home What I told Kristen I'd be there to help her out. And I know I'm already past this time. So I'm growing increasingly frustrated and bothered. And um, like, can we finish? Could you please find this part? Um, and we get there. And uh, someone finally looks on the restocking shelf. Oh, it was right here. It was supposed to be put back, and it wasn't put back. Great. They bring it up. They bring it up to the register. And I go to, uh, they, they're ready to say, it. Like, all right, it's going to be $20. And I go, like, great, I'm ready to go. Nothing in my pockets. In this horrifying moment, I realized that because I was working on the truck, I had emptied my pockets before I went out because I didn't want to, like, drop stuff out of my pockets underneath the truck or underneath the seat or something like that, Right? And I had gone there under all this time crunch. I didn't have any money. I didn't have any cards. They wouldn't take the shirt off my back for a barter. I don't know why, but they wouldn't. I could not live with myself. I realized that I had made this mistake and that I finally here had someone to help me. 
but I didn't have any way to get this. I was not going to walk out of advanced auto parts with part number 905-110. I wanted it bad, but I realized that I had made this stupid mistake. I've been waiting all this time, sweating, waiting for this, and finally got to be able to purchase it and needed to fix my truck, and I didn't bring any money. You can imagine, at this point, I was feeling undone. <laughs> I was so angry at myself, and I was just losing it internally. I was so angry. I'd, I'd wasted my time. I'd wasted my wife's time. I'd wasted all that work in the afternoon time to take my whole truck apart. I'd wasted the gas to get to Red Mill and all the way back. I, I, I was just so frustrated. My blood pressure was up. My body was overheated. I was just having problems. My truck was now in pieces in my driveway, and I knew I couldn't drive it properly without this piece, and I knew that I was booked the next night. And I was like, oh, I don't think I can do this for another two or three days. As I drove back to my house, I, I, I didn't want to listen to music. I didn't want to call anyone, have a nice conversation on the phone. I didn't want to listen to a nice podcast. I didn't want to do any of that. All I wanted to do was stew and think about this stupid error that I had made. Again, my mind was racing. I couldn't stop thinking about the situation. I thought of like all the excuses that would have come up to like, no, that doesn't help. I still made this stupid mistake, and it constantly kept playing back over and over again, reinforcing that I had made this choice and led to this frustration. I just kept dwelling on it over and over again. In reality, what I was doing was sitting there exercising all of my abilities and powers and resources to somehow fix what I'd already totally screwed up. And I, I think you understand, I was anxious. I had made a mistake, and it cost me. And man, I was not very happy about that. I didn't like it. It didn't go along with my plans, what I thought was supposed to happen that afternoon. There was my truck sitting in the, in the front yard, and it left another thing undone on my to-do list. Man, I was not happy about this. I sat there for probably 10 to 15 minutes, stewing about this on my way home. I was frustrated. I grabbed onto this problem and I wrestled it. And you know the insanity of the spiraling down of this. If you've ever done this before, you, what happens is you try to figure out and you play it over in your mind and over in your mind and over. And each time you're hoping for a different ending. Somehow that if I just think about it enough, I'll have changed it and I would have gotten it right and I'll feel better if I just play this. After 20 times, I'm like, the ending's still the same. I'm an idiot. Why did this happen? And it still is just pum it was pummeling me over and over again. It's making me more and more uneasy, more and more unsettled, more and more frustrated. In that moment, in the moments that followed, I went to work by myself in my head and got absolutely nowhere with it. I wasn't somehow making the situation any better. In fact, I went backwards. I felt more sick inside and uneasiness, still trying to make the situation better. But instead, I started to realize that what was happening to me is what he tells us in Proverbs 12.25. Anxiety in a man's heart weighs him down. That's exactly what I was feeling. I was being anxious. Now, sure, I wasn't worrying, right? I wasn't worrying about, oh, I'm afraid of what would happen. No, I was angry about what was going on. As worry stems from fear, the foundation of fear, so frustration stems from anger. And it's coming out of a heart that's angry. I was totally anxious. And I was angry about this thing and I kept holding it. Now, we may not identify it as easily, but essentially this is the anger and the holding of the anger that makes us feel crazy inside. We're angry that our plans didn't work out and do what we'd hoped for. We're angry that things are out of our control sometimes. 
We're angry because people are asking too much of us at work. Don't they know I can't do all this stuff? We're angry that our children are making a simple trip to the grocery store, turn into something that resembles more of a moving circus from one town to another by rail. I mean, I don't know if you've experienced this, but I have. Let's make it even more holy for a moment, something that seems to be a right way to be frustrated. What about those that are wicked? Seem to flourish for some reason. They seem to thrive. This is incredibly frustrating that they do not do the right things, and yet they get all the goods of the land. What's going on? But remember Psalm 37. If you read the entire psalm, which you should, it's well worth your time, you'll see that over and over again, he deals with this attitude. But for time's sake, let me just give you this little piece here. It says this, Fret not yourselves because of evildoers. Be not envious of wrongdoers, for they will soon fade like the grass and wither like the green herb. Now, of all things to be frustrated about, I feel like I'm most justified in being frustrated at wicked people who seem to thrive. And yet the text tells us that's not okay. No, this idea of fretting, which would be, go back, this, this verb is talking about being provoked to either anger or jealousy and seeing something else that's angering you and allowing it to sit there and stew. The anger so easily becomes controlling that it festers like a wound inside your soul, inside your heart, even inside your mind, it just dominates it. We can see then the foundation of our frustration is anger. And so, if I can just go back to the question again and refine our definition a little bit, anxieties are all the difficulties that we encounter as Christians in a fallen world. Being anxious, the action, being anxious is dealing with all of those things in such a way that we carry and we hold on to these things without properly giving them over to the Lord. Whether it's fears that we carry or anger that we carry, it is the opposite of casting them on God to carry. Instead, we choose to carry these things as burdens on our own backs. This brings up one more thing I want to show here. In this verse, casting our anxieties on him, Peter is using a very clever little play on words. Now, you and I may not catch it because, we, again, we don't know the Psalms very well, but usually a Jew, would, they, would, they would remember this part. In Psalm 55, 22, David says this, Cast your burden on the Lord, and he will sustain you. He will never permit the righteous to be moved. Catch that. Cast your burden on the Lord. Peter's making a very clever little play here. He is using David's words and inserting this new word, anxieties, in the place of burden. He is saying that these anxieties that we encounter are a type of burden, that which weighs us down, that which we hold so willingly and will continue to strap to our backs, burdens that we were never meant to bear alone. All the difficulties that we encounter in this fallen world, all of these anxieties, have a proper place in the life of Christians. I hope that you understand no one here is advocating for some sort of like a hakuna matata type lifestyle and philosophy that like, ah, oh, no worries, it's all going to be fine. You know, it's five o'clock somewhere, we'll just worry about it later. Don't have to worry at all, guys. This, the text does not tell us, cast all of your responsibilities to the wind. It does not say that. It says, cast your cares on him. He cares for you. We have the responsibility to obey and steward our families, our jobs, our relationships, even, let's be honest, even our vehicles that we have been given all these different things to take care of. But in no way are we to do this 
in and of ourselves by our own grit. We're not called, guys, to, to pray about the big things, maybe our children's salvation like we did up here, or like that he would save souls in Indonesia because God's over the big things, but then carry all the little stuff as though somehow that's our spiritual act of worship. If we carry those things, that's just kind of what we're supposed to do as earthly citizens, and it's part of life down here. God can handle the big stuff, you know, but he obviously doesn't have time or he's not concerned about my schedule, my personal finances, uh, certainly not getting my truck fixed so it can pass Virginia State inspection. But what does the verse say? No, it doesn't say that he cares about finances or schedule or state inspection. It's way better. He says he cares for you. And all that you have is part of you that you need to take care of. He cares for you. And next week at the picnic, Ilya will take some time, a few minutes, to share with us some thoughts about this very truth. I'm looking forward to it from Matthew 7, that our Father is a kind and good God that cares deeply for us. But for today, we want to recognize that all these things, these burdens, all the difficulties that we face in this fallen world are anxieties. And that being anxious about them is dealing with all those things in such a way that we carry them as burdens, holding on to them without properly giving them over to the Lord. That was just the first question, so we're going to be here a very long time today. Um, just kidding. Uh, what we did, hopefully, by showing these things rightly in this way, is these next three questions will fall into line as we understand a lot more about anxiety. So number two, the, number two, the second question here, what causes anxiety or what kind of things bring it about? And I'm not talking about let's list all the different things that might cause us anxiety. Let's talk about categories for a minute. I think there's three main categories that will help us see this. And it will help acknowledge what you're saying. Like, is this really an anxiety? Let's see. The first one, our sinful actions cause us anxiety. We deal with our own disobedience, our own pride, our own procrastination, our own laziness. And this is most certainly a burden. A burden. When uh, we sin against God, it is a weight on our heart. And if we are truly Christians, it will rightly bother us when we carry it alone. But even more than that, our sinful decisions bring consequences that are unpleasant. And so we have fear of those consequences. Or the other side, we're angry at ourselves or the stuff that's going on that didn't go quite right and the, what the actions that we know it'll bring to us. And so we end up struggling with carrying the burden of sin and its consequences. That's the first way we do it. Another one, the second, anxiety can also come from general difficulties that we experience in a fallen world. I mean, these are the things like being stuck in traffic or spilling coffee on your beautiful clean shirt. Or perhaps it's raining when you need to go mow the lawn. It's already past due and you got to get this thing done. It's just some of the general difficulties that we go through in this world. Or perhaps part of you're not meeting state inspection because part of your vehicle has degraded a little bit and starting to break down. All of these things can easily become burdensome for us and something that you and I care about. These are not just another category. They're cares of this world. They do weigh on us. Now, they may not be as causes sinful per se. There's nothing sinful about my truck breaking down as far as me committing a sin against God. But they certainly are cares for us to bear and to be concerned with in some way. The third thing, though, anxiety in the way that the Bible seems to describe it can also come, this one we don't like very much, from the discipline of the Lord. Now, I don't mean by that discipline as correction. 
When I say discipline here, think affliction. Think suffering. Think Hebrews 12 or Psalm 66. Think of the things that are trying to our souls, that God would put us through and test us as silver is refined in a fire. Now, we don't know how to answer this very well, but it's true. We understand that it is something that we go through. I don't pretend to understand it, but I believe that his word is true and that this is the best thing for us because it's his way. It's good for us to be afflicted despite the immense pain that comes along with it. In these things, though, in these times, the difficulty that the Lord brings can cause us to worry or grow frustrated, and if we do not respond in faith, they will tend towards anxiety. So that's the other thing here. So that these are the, the causes, in a sense, the things that might be the categories for us to jump into this anxiety. The third question, why do we do it? What's happening at our very core that makes us anxious? There's two main things. Number one, we do not trust God. The first reason we are anxious in any way is because we don't trust God. It's simple as that. When we worry and fret and fear, we somehow believe that God is either not powerful or he's not good. One way, he can't, he can't do anything about my stuff. He's not powerful enough. Or if we believe he is powerful enough and he's not doing it, we tend to the other one. We don't trust that he's good. Because if he was good, he'd do this thing for me. And he's not doing that. God is either not powerful or he's not good. We fear these things like they're outside of his control or that he doesn't care about them. And so we make him not good in and of ourselves, our own thought life. We forget or don't believe that he cares for us. That's the first thing. The second thing, though, first, we don't trust him. The second actually ties right back to our passage today. We are proud. We think that this small stuff isn't big enough for God and that we can somehow handle it, that we should be able to carry it. That it's kind of, again, like I said, our duty. Like, hey, I can handle this. Uh, this is small stuff. I can do this stuff. Not a problem. I should be able to handle my schedule. I should be able to handle all the stuff that goes on around here, my, my finances and all that stuff. I can do all that kind of stuff. I, I can do all, I, 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 I. It's because we're proud. Somehow we think that us doing all those things is the right way and that God doesn't need to be bothered with all that kind of stuff. We are up to the task of properly working all this earthly stuff out. We don't need God for this small stuff. But notice the first part of our text. 1 Peter 5, verse 6. He says this, Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that the proper time he may exalt you. This whole casting your anxieties, did you notice it's casting? That's like a participle showing that it's subservient to the main verb, which is humble yourselves. In other words, he is showing us the primary way for us to humble ourselves under the mighty hand and care of our loving God is to stop worrying about what has not been ours ever to deal with. He is showing us that frustration is a possible form of pride. This anger that somehow, although I wasn't able to seek control and do all this stuff I was supposed to do, when I get angry and frustrated about it, I, I actually raise myself up as though I'm the Lord of that situation and that God isn't. And so we start to understand that the sin of anxiety is sin that finds its deepest root in lack of trust for God, in, in God, and pride in our own abilities and positions. Now, I'll, I'll be honest, this cuts to my heart. Because if I'm honest about this stuff, I think like worry, yeah, obviously it's sin. But like frustration, that can't be a sin, really, right? I mean, it's like, I'm frustrated about all kinds of stuff. I mean, it's constant in my life. 
But then I look at the text, I'm like, oh, no, it's constant in my life. This is showing something about my heart. This is getting down to the root that is anger, the root that is pride, the root that is, doesn't trust God. And I realize that <laughs> he is good, and I am uh, so thankful for him revealing through the scriptures the truth. So I want you to know this is first and foremost a message for myself and for us together, though. It cuts to the heart, and I hate to do this to my God. But may I remind us, there is grace to the weary ones. There is good news for the hurting, anxious soul today. You do not have to continue in this way. This is not a message of guilt and condemnation so that you go away worrying more about not worrying. This is not that. We know that our sin keeps us from relief and joy, but there is peace to be found in our Savior. And so this leads to question four, right? What is the remedy for the Christian? Let me step back first. I should have said this before. What is the remedy in general? If you're not submitted to the Lord of the earth as your king, as he says in the Bible, trusting him and him alone, you will never know the lack of anxiety. You will never know peace. You will never know joy without knowing Jesus Christ and submitting to him as king. Because let me tell you, his is the true story of the world. You can't think that you're doing some sort of religious duty and actually ever be at peace. You must know this king. Without knowing this king, you will not ever have peace and joy. And so the first step to anxiety is to know the one who's king over anxiety, the one who will receive your anxieties, the one that has rule over all of the world. He made it, he sustains it, and he redeems his people. And so can I call to you that have not trusted or loved him? Would you repent of your sin and turn to him alone as the Lord, the one who can actually receive your anxieties? This is the first thing. But what's the remedy for the Christian, the one who does believe, the one who knows Jesus Christ as their Lord? I have three things. The first thing is read and believe Psalm 130. As you realize in this psalm, there's this very strange command, wait and hope. Okay, you want to do something right about this whole thing? Wait and hope. Man, that is not very satisfying for my like stewardship management mind. Let's, let's, we got stuff to do here, Lord. Like I want to, I want to fix this problem. Wait, wait. Be still and hope in me. Uh, he tells us, wait. The wicked are like grass; they will wither. Wait and hope. With the Lord, there is steadfast love and plentiful redemption. Wait. He will redeem and give you a good portion. So the first thing, how do we remedy the situation? Wait and hope in God. Second thing is read Psalm 37 and know this answer, that you must trust this wonderful God. Verse 3 and 4 say this, Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and befriend faithfulness. Delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Whatever misplaced trust that you and I entertain, we must reject those things, those other gods that we start serving, and find him alone to be trustworthy and good and fulfilling. That which is our delight, he says. Able he is to do good and relieve us of all of our fears, angers, and frustrations. We do not need to carry the burden of fear or anger around with us when we trust that he is the one that gives life and he holds us in his hands. And ultimately, he will do everything that is good for us 
and for his glory. So that's the second thing, Psalm 37. Lastly, we are to do what Paul told us to do in Philippians 4. You probably know this one already. Philippians 4, 6, pray. It is probably the most unglamorous but important act of faith that I, I, I can know. He says, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Now, Chris and I were discussing this the other day, and uh, uh, she's so helpful for me. I, like, I, I, I go away, and then she chips back, and I go away, and, then she, and, and, and she goes, she says, I see it now, and that seems to make sense of what he says in Thessalonians, where he says, pray without ceasing. Because the cares and concerns and anxieties just keep on coming, guys. They're constant. But this state of prayer that Paul talks about is not one of constantly sitting on one place and doing nothing but praying all the time as a monk. It's talking about daily in your walk, casting your cares on him through prayer. Praying and letting him know. He knows all these things are true, but Paul tells us in everything by prayer and supplication, which means go to him and ask for it, with thanksgiving, another type of prayer, let your requests be made known to God. This is what it looks like for a Christian to trust, wait, hope, and ask for those things, that he would take care of them. I think she was exactly right. The state of prayer that we ought to be living in is one of constant trust and repentance. Really what we're seeing here as we look at this whole thing is not necessarily, okay, here are your three um, tips for how to not be anxious. Can I back up for a minute? The Bible is showing us not to be concerned with the kingdom that we can see around us. It is trying to show us that the real story of the world is the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, the one in which we find ourselves placed because of Jesus Christ and our eyes were opened to the real kingdom which says that flourishing is not with money and power and all the things that our world thinks that, that it's all about. Flourishing looks like knowing God and finding him to be most glorious, and our delight is in him, not only for now, but forever. And the, So when we get to Hebrews and we find out people were sawn asunder and they're burned at the stake and all these terrible things, they understand that their life is flourishing because they're found in him. Now, we don't struggle with those things right now. We may. I'm not sure. But I'll tell you this. All those concerns will only ever make sense when we start to see the world around us as living in the kingdom of heaven and knowing that the king will always take care of his sheep. He can be trusted. He loves. So let me finish my story about the, the, the truck. <laughs> Very frustrated. After about 15 minutes, I realized that I was completely angry and I had to repent of my sin. Um, I don't always do this right at all. I hadn't studied this passage yet, so I wasn't ready. I wasn't ready to get it right, okay? Just hell that off of me. But I had to repent and I realized that I certainly did not cast my care on him and that it was eating me up right here. And I had to say, Lord, this is yours to, to, to carry. I still have to go back and make a wise decision. I have to go back to the store. I'm still going to have to buy the piece. And I bought the piece a different day, and I came back, and I fixed the truck, and it ran, and it passed inspection. Praise God. It's great. I still had to do the things I was responsible for. But I realized in that moment that I had taken it completely on myself. And so as we go from this place, this afternoon, tomorrow, the next day, you will have anxieties. You will have the cares and concerns of your job, your family, your vehicles, you name it, there's all kinds of different things that you will be responsible for. 
But when these things happen, and you can recognize whether the frustration or worry, I encourage you as your friend and pastor, stop for a moment. Repent of the sin that you know is there, whether it is fear, whether it is anger, and when it comes back down to that you do not trust God and that you do not think that he is able to do it somehow. Repent of that sin and remember that your God is in full control and that he is good and that he cares for you. And so we can trust him. Cast your cares on him through prayer and waiting. That's what he tells us to do. I'll admit, this is not some uh, immediate quick fix. It's not something that's easy. Like so much of our Christian experience, it's a long journey of learning to repent and trust our God as we obey. And you know what will happen. Verse 7, listen to these words. And the peace of God, which passes all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. In Christ, this is the peace that we're guaranteed when we lay those things on him. Let's pray together. God, we would ask for your help as we are just learning what it means to cast our cares on you. Christ, you have taken our sin and you care deeply to take all of our cares. So help us, Father, to humble ourselves, as Peter tells us to, under the mighty hand of God, casting our cares, anxieties on you. We thank you so much for your great love for us and we revel in the grace that we've been given in Jesus. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.